going. You and me for now, Brian. <laughs> okay. Mm. So we're going to be talking about decisiveness today. And um, that's funny. It's a topic I haven't talked about much, really. A little bit. Decision making. Um, but it's actually a huge problem for a lot of people. You know, that kind of procrastination, hesitation, or the, the opposite, like impulsiveness and randomness in their decision making, not thinking things through. Um, where do you sit at the moment with this topic? You know, how's, how's your decisiveness levels? Um, yeah, I, I think um, mostly when someone asks me uh, to pick something, I will uh, be pretty sure of what I want, but I will still uh, take a lot of mental steps to also take them into consideration. Mm. And uh, when it comes to taking initiative with it, that's that's really hard. So. <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's interesting because that's yeah. There's two kinds of decisiveness there, isn't it? It's when you're presented with options, and then when you're actually kind of initiating from nothing. Yeah. Just choosing something, even though there's no real options. So yeah, okay, that's interesting. So you think it through a lot when you're presented with options, and then when you have to initiate you get much more blocked. Is that about right? Yeah. Cool. Well, that's pretty common. I think, um, I hear that kind of thing a lot. There are some people who it's, it's like they get stuck in mud when they're faced with any decision that they classify as important. And then there's others who even the smallest things, what do you want for breakfast? They just fall to pieces, you know? Mm. Um, I've been watching a lot of documentaries on anxiety based disorders recently, you know, like anorexia and OCD and uh, agoraphobia, things like that. <clears throat> and yeah, this kind of panic state they get into when they have to make choices. Uh, it's incredible, you know, and, and it kind of prompted me to think maybe we need to start talking about what decision making and decisiveness is. Yeah. Um, start having a look at how that affects people's lives because basically it affects the pace of your life. You know, we're going to talk about today that <clears throat> actually there's really no such thing as making a wrong decision. We'll have a look at that today. But what really indecisiveness does is it slows you down. You know, there are people yeah. who make it's amazing when you get guys like Mark Zuckerberg or general of the like American army or whatever they make like multiple massive decisions every 30 seconds or so, you know, they're making huge life changing decisions for people very, very quickly. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you get like what we're talking about, the kind of person who can't choose what they're going to eat for breakfast today, you know, and they lose their whole morning to it and it doesn't even matter. So Christian, welcome along, man. Thanks for joining us live. Hi, and, um, Hi guys. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the mics open. I'm going to play with it a little bit today and try and make this more of a discussion rather than a lecture. Okay. Um, the only time I, I will, if there's like a lot of background noise, if somebody comes in and they've got something going on, I might mute them for that. Otherwise, I'll just keep it open. If anyone wants to jump in at any point or say something, just speak up. And we'll see, see if we can make this online thing work somewhat similar to the like real life thing. Yeah. Mm. Okay. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Cool. But I'll, I'll intro it today. So today we're going to be talking about decisiveness. 
And I want to start with defining it and actually get you guys' opinions on the definition. So decisive is where the decisions are made quickly. They are bold and they are rational. So they're not just impulsive, but they're kind of clever, thought out. They make sense according to your values. They're leadership type decisions, uh, not just random flickers of interest, but they're still done quickly. And they're done, when I say something's done decisively, I mean boldly, like it's not a hesitant or an apology in it. It's just done. You go all in and deal with the consequences. Whereas indecisive is basically the opposite. Slow, overthinking, uncertain, a hesitancy, being timid in the way that you do it. Or the other end of the spectrum being random and irrational, impulsive, or like knee-jerk, reactive, where you don't think things are for uh, at all, or like automat- autopilot following, where you just do what you're told or you just follow the crowd and you're not even thinking. What are your guys' thoughts on those kind of definitions to get us started? What am I missing or what do you agree with? It makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, uh, the rational part is kind of uh, what I instantly think about is um, where the sort of barrier lies between it being overthinking and it being a rational decision because that, that can get kind of blurry for me, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But overall, I would definitely agree, yeah. Yeah, I think the overthinking thing is one of the key elements we'll have to explore today because ultimately it's not like people are found in general. It's not that they don't know what they want. It's they know what they want and then they question it and then they question it again and they question it again. Mm. Um, and that's when I, that's why I love the term overthinking. It's the idea you've already thought once and now you're doing it again. And you're <laughs> overthinking it. Right? You've, you've already done enough thinking and now more is happening, you know. Um, Question, mm. thoughts on the definitions? Uh, yeah. Uh, I definitely have an issue with overthinking. I'm, the way in which I make decisions, I generally have to evaluate and assess each and every option available out there in order to make an informed and sound decision. And I, I think that sometimes uh, that's not helping me time-wise because it takes a lot of time to gather all the information, evaluate it up to each option, and then make a decision. So I'd like to know more about how you make decisions when you don't have enough information. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because there we get a glimpse of the belief system underneath overthinking, which is, one, I must know what all the options are, and two, I must carefully assess all those options before I can yeah. move So I want you to just notice that belief system and just sort of put a question mark on it. Do I need to know all the options and do I need to assess them all? Why do I believe that I do? It seems obvious, perhaps. The idea that a rational decision comes from knowing all the options and having assessed them all and choosing the best one. Well, I'm asking, does it really? Is that actually the best way to make decisions? We're going to have a look at that. But particularly, as you'll know from overthinking, how many, how limitless the options always are. You can always imagine other ones, or you can always imagine that there might be another one you can't think of, and you're trying to think of it. You know? mm. And then 
even once you've got to a limit of options, the amount that you can assess them is limitless. Constantly play them off each. I, I imagine some of those people with a spreadsheet of these pros and cons against all. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine if someone like Mark Zuckerberg making a decision about a change in Facebook that will affect billions of people? Imagine if he had to assess all the variables. <laughs> Facebook would have never got off the ground, right? Mm. So <clears throat> I want you to just open your mind to the idea that, that belief driving overthinking, I must know all the options, I must assess them carefully, might not actually be helpful or even accurate when it comes to decisiveness. <clears throat> For you guys personally, where in your life would you like to see yourself being more decisive? Uh, I'll go first. I'll go first. Um, <laughs> Look at the decision there. That was perfect. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. Talking about decisiveness. <laughs> the white people are on the call. Shit. Yeah. Um, there's two areas in my life where I need, where I would like to be more decisive. It's uh, about my career and my direction in life. And I've recently started working on that because I could not, you know, keep on, you know, dabbling into many things at the same time. So I'm definitely working on becoming more decisive in terms of where my career is going. And then when being around women as well, because they test you all the time. I've been several dates lately and they constantly asking you questions. What should we do? Where should we go? What should we order? Uh, what do we do now? It's, it's, they're testing you all the time with questions and they're kind of forcing me to exercise the decision-making muscle the whole time. Yeah. Cool. Two big, two very big areas of life. Obviously mm -hmm. career is one that people panic with decision-making because they feel like they're committing to things for long periods of time or missing opportunities. And then social leadership where the two of you are deciding who's going to take the reins in this relationship and yeah. your decisiveness will decide whether you're the leader or the follower, which plays out for the rest of the relationship, essentially. You're setting that precedent. Absolutely. Thomas, how about yourself, man? Uh, yeah, and uh, the big life decision thing would definitely also be very present for me. Uh, that can definitely freeze me up for multiple weeks mm. sometimes. And <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough feeling. And then uh, what I already touched on a bit with initiative and uh, like uh, taking more uh, of the first step when it comes to, hey, I want this, uh, and then trying to get people to follow along or something. <clears throat> cool. So again, big life decisions that seem to have a long-term impact and leadership as well. You know? Yeah. I think you guys probably represent the pack pretty well. You know, where most, pe where most people freeze or the decisions they consider important or scary, but the important ones, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Those kind of questions that people just freeze at the idea of getting that wrong. Um, and then, of course, the you're in some sort of social situation. Somebody's got to call the shots. And you know what you want or you think you know what you want. And then whether or not you can follow through on actually being leader and going for what you want. So there's a decisiveness not just in making the decision but following through with it, isn't it? So you can have a delay in making the decision, like overthinking, mm -hmm. or you can have a delay in the decisions made in your head, but it's not being acted out. Yeah. Kind of a courage delay. And then by that time, somebody may have already like <laughs> took, uh, mm. taken the reins, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. 
that's one of the, the reasons I want guys like you to become more decisive is because if you don't, someone else will. And I've got a video coming out soon about risk taking. The problem is, is in that space, it's often the worst people first. So the people who are often very decisive without hesitation are psychopaths and narcissists and arrogant people and stupid people and impulsive people. And if leaders aren't taking that space up, these people fill it. And we can see that with politics around the world. We can see that in companies around the world from small groups through to massive nations, the hesitancy of, of others has led the worst people to take the reins. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a problem. That's a big problem, you know. They're kind of there's a uh, saying from the from the movie Boondock Saints, uh, something like the the greatest evil is the indifference of good men. Hmm. And it's this kind of idea that if you stand still, it's not that nothing happens; bad things happen. Yeah. And that's why decisiveness, I think, is so important for me to like spread the message. <clears throat> It's because I see good people being indecisive. Well, I see, I won't call them bad people necessarily, harmful people being very decisive and taking up their space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit on my history. This is actually one of the few areas we talk about in Brojo where I have a natural strength. So this isn't something I had to develop. I was always quite decisive. Um, what I did have to develop is in the past, I was much more impulsive than decisive. So I could do decisions quickly, but not rationally. It was kind of knee jerk, get away from discomfort. And that's probably just a kind of an introvert, uh, uh, extroverted, um, kind of trait, which is quick decision-making. So I just, this why my people pleasing was like, put on a show, entertain people, solve problems. I could do that very quickly but I did it just to get away from uncomfortable emotions. I wasn't really thinking, I was just on autopilot, quickly making decisions. But I've been able to hone that into rational quickness. And I wanna talk a bit about how I did that. And then we're gonna also talk about the more sort of introverted indecisiveness, which is slow rather than quick, yeah? Mm. So decisiveness is really about this idea that once you know the right way forward, you act on it immediately. You don't think about it again. You don't second guess yourself. You just go for it. But there's also a quickness to getting to know the right way forward, to being certain enough to move uh, without being impulsive or knee-jerk reaction. So we're going to try and find that beautiful sweet spot where you're moving quickly but smartly. You know what you're doing and you know why you're doing it. And that, I mean, that's a key difference between decisiveness and impulsiveness. You know, decisiveness is based on values, right? Whereas impulsiveness is based on fear and ego. Impulsiveness is just a reaction. Whereas decisiveness is a reaction after a consideration. It's almost as quick. And the more you hone in, the more you trust yourself, the quicker it becomes. I'm at a point now where I make decisions instinctually. I just feel what's right and go for it. And I can trust myself because I've trained myself to to calibrate that feeling. I know that feeling's on point most of the time now. And when it's wrong, it gets calibrated a little bit more. And sometimes it is wrong. Mm -hmm. So there's two types of indecisiveness. You know what to do, but you're afraid to do it. 
but you're not sure what to do and afraid to guess. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> anything? Does that cover indecisiveness? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's kind of a deep one, I guess. But, uh, well, we'll see what else comes up, I guess. Cover it. <laughs> so I made a list of, of some barriers. And I want to get you guys' thoughts on the barriers to decisiveness. Because that's all really it is. It's a decision hitting a barrier. And the barrier takes place somewhere inside your psyche. The barrier comes down, the decision comes up. The reason I say that is because neuroscience, or the latest in neuroscience research, shows us quite clearly that decisions are made at lightning speed. Okay, they, they happen before the event is even finished. You know, there's actually at least a strong level of determinism in decision making. For example, if you're going into the ice cream shop, you've pretty much already chosen your flavor before you even see what's available. Like that's how quickly decision-making occurs. So for it to be slow, for you to be indecisive, means there must be a lot going on that's getting in the way of this lightning quick reaction process. Okay. The first one I think is the most obvious one, which is overthinking and what some people also call perfectionism. Mm. So this uncertainty or this feeling of uncertainty about the right, and I'm going to use those annoying finger things here, the <laughs> right way to do it. Um, for example, constantly redoing an application letter to get it perfect before you apply for the job. You know, or coming to a decision and then suddenly deciding that that's just a first draft and you've got to go back to the start and reconsider. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> so I want, I want to define the difference between overthinking and kind of, um, not being able to think of anything. Overthinking is you do come to a, a, a clear decision straight away, but then you second guess it and you third guess it. Yeah. You know, you, you don't believe that first thing that popped in, uh, as opposed to like hesitation or, or indis, uh, uncertainty, which is there's no clear decision coming through. Yeah. Is that like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny. I can really see that distinction in myself when I write emails sometimes. Because uh, sometimes I will write an email, uh, no problem, just straight through, but then I will reread it like five times just to check if anything's wrong. And sometimes I, uh, when it's really important, I have trouble getting started and actually putting anything on paper. And so, oh yeah, paper. <laughs> Yep, that's pretty much exactly what I'm talking about. Like the idea of writing an email and then rewriting it, writing a message and rewriting it, that kind of process either happening outside of you or inside your head, definitely. I'll just get you guys to turn your videos off and turn them back on again. My, my Zoom thing just needs to do a little reset. <clears throat> Thanks. Cool. So just to sort of like, I want you to just notice that that, that some idea comes in and it's you second guessing it that slows you down. You could just move forward on that first idea, but you don't, do you? Why don't you? Uh, probably out of fear that it might be wrong, I guess. Mm. Uh, that's sort of a fear of failure and especially with the hard life decisions you're like 
okay, I might miss out on a lot of things if I choose wrong here. And that's what keeps you hesitant. Really interesting way that you've worded that too. I'll miss out on things if I get it wrong. Even though you'll miss out on things if you get it right too. <laughs> you know. Um, and we're going to come to that in a second, the fear of getting it wrong, which is another of the main barriers. And I think maybe these two actually overlap or they're one causes the other. Christian, your thoughts? I um, There's two things with me. Sometimes it's perfectionism, trying to be, get make the optimal decision. And then you have to evaluate how much time you're investing in gathering the information in order to make the optimal decision. But I think I overdo it because... For example, today I was with a girl and she, and she said, you'll be the DJ in the car. And she said, just pick a song. And I had to go through the entire list of artists before I could pick a song. And that was stupid. You know? <laughs> it's just a song. You know? But I'd overdo it in several areas. And well, that's one of the things I want to work on. And then I, sometimes I struggle with having made a decision and then having opportunities come my way that have nothing to do with the decision I made, but I still keep on evaluating, evaluating those opportunities. Once I've made a decision, which make me uh, second guess or uh, doubt my decision once mm -hmm. it has been made. So this a lack of one, one thing is perfectionism. The other one is kind of lack of self-belief in the decision already made. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I, I, who was, I think it was my girlfriend was, we were looking at something, we had just purchased something. And then I noticed she was still looking at what was available. I was like, we've already bought it. Like shopping's done kind of thing. We're not, it's not like we're going to take it back and swap it. And what I realized is she's doing something that I think a lot of overthinkers do is after a decision's made, you then go and assess other opportunities after. And it mm. creates the belief that there's missed opportunities because you're actually looking mm. for them. Yeah. I found decisive people don't look back. They don't know what they missed out on because they don't look for it. They just know what they've got and they go with it. Mm. I often think of it like a, a metaphor I quite often use for this is a comet flying through space and all those bits falling off it, that comet tail mm. that you see. Bits of dust and mm. chunks of you know, the comet doesn't stop to collect them. It just keeps letting go of those things as it blasts forward. And that's decisive people. They know things are being missed. Doors are being closed as they make these decisions, as they eliminate options down to one. But they don't go check what those options are. They just make the best of the one they chose. So I want you to notice there's actually a practice that you're doing there. If you double check yourself after a decision, you're actually creating the awareness of missed opportunities. And that awareness may actually be unhelpful. It may be better not to know, you know, a kind of a helpful ignorance, especially if you learn to make the most of the decisions you do make, then it won't really be a missed anything. Right. Cause mm. the truth is of course, if you then to go back and take one of those other opportunities, you're missing out on the first one. You're always going to miss one. There's no way to take all the opportunities. And this is actually something that sounds really almost patronizingly obvious, but a lot of people don't seem to get is you can't have all the opportunities. You can't even have a majority of them. You can have a tiny slice of them. It's small as possible mm. niche. The quicker you make decisions, the more of them you can have. Mm. 
Right. Indecisiveness, all it does is ensure that you're getting even less of them, but you were never going to get many of them to begin with. You had the opportunity to open that door, you missed it, you know, whatever that is. So, this idea of doing something the right way, of not missing out, of getting it perfect, or making sure that, you know, you didn't choose the wrong thing, is actually a process that slows you down, and you miss out on more opportunities. You know? Um, which I know seems really obvious, but this isn't at the heart of why this is happening. We're going to keep digging in. You're doing this for a reason. And what I want you to notice for a start is that reason is probably based on the feeling of anxiety. This worry, something's wrong. There's a threatened feel to it. You know, and this is one of the most tragic things in decisiveness that the response we have to that threatened feeling, I'm going to do it wrong. I'm going to miss out causes us to have more of the thing we're worried about. We miss out more. We do it wrong more often. The longer you delay a decision, the worse the options get. You don't just miss out on options. They're generally the best ones go first. You notice that? It's like if you want to buy a plane ticket to another country and you're not sure if now's the right time to buy. The longer you wait, the more expensive that ticket gets and the less flight options are available. Mm-hmm. And so many decisions are like that. The longer you wait, it's the best ones that go first. But because we know that, we actually worry about choosing one. Like, am I choosing the worst one when there's still the best one available? <laughs> and then that process of slowing down, all we do is guarantee we won't make the best decision. We're going to get through and I've got a little list here and we'll see if I'm missing any by the end of it. Another huge one is green light syndrome. A term of my own um, creation, which is this really strong compulsion to get some sort of validation before you can act on a decision. A mission, a sign, some sort of encouragement that you're on the right track. So this is where you make a decision, but you can't move forward on it without seeing some sort of encouragement or leadership from outside of yourself. So like waiting for a girl to smile at you before you go say hi to her. Waiting for your boss to invite you to apply for a pay rise. You know, waiting for your parents to say, yeah, that looks like a good idea for you when you choose your university course. Just just waiting for someone else to go, yeah, yeah, you're not crazy. That's, that's what I would do too. That's right. Or I won't hurt you if you do that. There's no risk there. Do you guys resonate with that one? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it definitely happen, it happens like that sometimes, but it goes really quickly and subconsciously. And then afterwards, I'll be like, wait, <laughs> why did I even ask for this validation? Mm. But, uh, yeah, recognizable. Autopilot. Christian? Yeah. Especially when I'm sometimes with women. I, I look for an indicator of interest before approaching or greeting her. Yeah. I've, yeah. And unconsciously I tend to do that, which I am working on by becoming more of a, more of a leader and leading and not waiting, but yeah, I used to struggle a lot with that. 
Yeah, and that's a, that's a really common one, especially for people pleasing mm-hmm. nice guys. This kind of like, is mummy, is this right? Am I allowed this? And it's this kind of thing we've carried on from childhood. Often because we come from like some sort of strict parenting background where we weren't allowed to do things on our own initiative and we'd get punished just for taking initiative even if we didn't do something badly. That was quite often the case in my childhood. My parents were quite stressed and strict when I was younger. And so they would just say no to everything all the time, even if it was a reasonable request. So I never knew what was allowed because there was no kind of moral guidance system I could use. I never knew what was going to get a yes because there was no consistency to it. So I got into a pattern of just always asking first, you know, mm. because quite often I'd get my head bitten off for what seemed like a reasonable thing, like grabbing a snack, like an apple. Who said you could eat an apple? I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I'd ask for an apple. Shit, I thought this was healthy. I don't know what's going on. Right? <laughs> so quite often we come from that kind of background where we've been punished for taking the initiative, even then when we were sure it was the right thing to do. And it develops this uncertainty in ourselves, like, I've been punished for doing what I thought was right. So maybe I don't know what's right. Maybe other people do and I should check in with them first. So again, this idea that you've got to get it right comes through. I'm looking for someone else to tell me this is right. This is the optimal decision as Christian puts it, or at least it's not a wrong one. God forbid it's a fucking wrong one, right? I'm very, very <laughs> concerned about that, which brings me to the next one, which is, I just call it simply the fear of getting it wrong. And again, using those things for the word wrong, very subjective, vague phrase, the wrong decision. We use words like failure. We use words like rejection and embarrassment and missing out to describe the idea of getting it wrong. This idea that we make a decision and then the following period of time is painful for us as a direct result of that decision. And this idea that there was an alternative decision available that was followed by a period of pleasure. We missed out on that one. So essentially, whenever we say the wrong decision, we imagine this fork in the road. One is right, Mm. one is wrong. There might be multiple forks, but one's definitely wrong. And we walk down that path and the door closes behind us and now we're in this world of pain. And there's this idea that the other ones, they didn't have this world of pain. We can imagine them going a different way. And we imagine them so strongly that we're sure that they actually exist. It's kind of like being locked in a room and knowing there's another room next to you, even though you can't see it and you can't get to it. You think there's a party in that room and this room's a torture chamber and I missed out on going to that room. And this often causes just the delay. The delay and, of course, the second-guessing after a decision as well, or the undoing of a decision because you got a bit of pain afterwards and you thought, that must be wrong. You know, you go up to start talking to someone that you like and they react a bit like, you know, oh, no, this was one of those wrong decisions. Shit, back out, rather than sticking in it and seeing how, you know, can I get through this to the other side, kind of running away as soon as you get like a little bit of an electric shock. Um, or just holding back, you know. You've never danced before, so you keep procrastinating on starting the new dance class. This idea that dancing must be wrong for you because it doesn't feel certain and feel confused and you feel anxious and feel nervous. Hmm. When you guys think of the concept of getting it wrong, how does that, you know, how does that define itself in your head? What does it mean to get something wrong, to make the wrong decision? 
once I've made a decision and I haven't got the expected result and then I look back and say, oh, I should have taken the other path or the other option. I would have gotten that instead of this. Yeah, once it's like a regret of having made a wrong decision, but you only can see that you made a wrong decision in hindsight. You know, so in the moment, you don't, there's a lot of things you don't know. You have two, a fork in the road, but in hindsight, sometimes you look back and, and uh, that happened to me recently and I had three career options and I explored, I already made a decision of I want Z, but there was X and Y and I still pursued X and Y and not X and Y didn't work out and I ended up staying with Z, although I had chosen Z before considering X and Y. So yeah, when, that happened to me recently. Once you notice that kind of little trick of the mind, two things that happen there are kind of a fiction. One is that the result is blamed on the decision. The decision caused the result. You know, for example, if I choose this career path and it's unenjoyable, me not enjoying myself was because of the decision, no other reason. Right. Mm. And then, of course, the other one, this hindsight is twenty twenty belief, which is, not only can I imagine it going a different way by a different decision, that I trust my imagination is an accurate uh, prediction, that that's actually what would have happened. You know, this idea that like, there's no way I got that guess wrong. And then you can see in the example you gave Christian, you did go and explore X or Y and they didn't turn out anyway. So <laughs> you imagining them going well was wrong. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. It's quite funny. Like I might go up and, and so I go and try and talk to someone new and I start a conversation a certain way and they react badly to it. And then afterwards I think if only I'd started the conversation this other way, we'd be fucking mates by now, you know, <laughs> instead of the more likely thing is, which is no matter how you start a conversation with this guy, he's going to react badly to it. You know, you are doomed. There's no decision that could have made this any better. At least, you know, that's, that's so often the most likely is that, However you approach something, it doesn't matter if you do it smooth or rough, it's either going to work out or it isn't. The way you do it is very rarely a big factor in this. You know, the way you start a conversation with a girl is very rarely a deciding factor on whether or not she likes you. You know, her whole life, her whole preference around men and everything building up to that point, there's so much more weight than the words you use to start the conversation, you know? Um, so you're basically, the, the decision's made. In a sense, you, you go up to her, you're just letting her know that you exist and she's already decided, just like flavors of ice cream. And yet you think, oh, if only I'd said this or I'd come in from this angle or I'd use more eye contact and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I know, dude, she, maybe she hates everybody. You never had a shot. But you imagine it would have gone brilliantly had you only done it the other way, this kind of self-flagellation. Like I did it wrong. Without realizing there was no right way to do it. You know? Thomas, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it definitely um, rings very, uh, rings, rings a lot of bells. Like um, just being stuck imagining uh, which way something can go. And it's very tied to how much uh, satisfaction I will get from each or how much personal uh, pleasure or happiness is tied to each of those options well. You know, you couldn't. You, I realized you could never really know. So <laughs> it's kind of weird that your mind plays that trick on you. 
Well, I've got to share something with you guys on that, which is, in my experience of decisive people, they are not certain about outcomes. It's indecisive people who are certain about outcomes. Indecisive decisive people don't trust their guesses. They go and test them. What they trust is themselves to handle however it goes. That's why they can do it quickly. And that's why I can do things quickly. I don't know that what I'm going to do is, is, is I don't know that what I'm choosing is going to work. I just know that if it doesn't, I'll handle it. Whereas an indecisive person thinks they know how it's going to go and doesn't trust themselves to handle that. You know, they're the reverse. And I want you to just sort of open your mind to that. A decisive person doesn't know they're going to get it right. They're just okay with getting it wrong. That's why they can move so quickly. An indecisive person is really thinks it's bad to get it wrong. A truly decisive person knows that there's no such thing as wrong. Okay, we're going to get to that soon. Mm. Interesting. Another one is the fear of success, which is this reluctance to move forward on a decision that feels like a commitment. Like you're going all in on something and you can't get out again. Like you're signing a contract of some kind. Yeah, holding back on a wedding proposal because you're not sure if you're going to love them in 40 years, you know, uh, not wanting to, to apply for a job because you're not sure if you really want to do work in that field for the rest of your life. Mm. And deep like feelings of obligation and pressure and commitment and locking yourself in and the kind of <laughs> absolute destruction of all other options forever, you know, I always use this example. There'd be guys I'd take out to go and meet people on the street. I'd say, oh, who, you know, who's a girl that you like? And say, that girl there. I'm like, go say hi to her. And he'd be like, don't know. She doesn't really look like girlfriend material. I'm like, how'd you get into that so quickly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? You don't even know how long she's going to live. Like girlfriend material? You, you haven't even said hi yet. How can you possibly assess that? But what they're saying is, I'm scared that I'm going to actually, this is going to work out. And I'm going to be like obliged to follow through on something and stick in with it. And quite often I think that this comes from this not good enough fear, which is if I stick with something long enough, I'm going to be discovered as a loser, as a failure, as a fraud, you know, imposter syndrome. The reason I don't want to commit to something is not really that I'll miss out. It's that I'll be discovered. I can't keep up the act for long enough before people realize I'm not worthy of this thing. Mm. Yep. What are you guys' thoughts on that around like, so if this was a career, this would mean you actually are interested in something. So you already come to a decision like that looks good. Enough to actually go test it out, but then you hold back and actually going towards it and you start thinking, well, what else is there? What's something that feels even more certain? <laughs> yeah, you were spot on in describing like those de big decisions in life, like career changes or moving for progressing things with a girl that it's girlfriend material. And I'm going through that at the moment. This is the third girl I date after breaking up with my ex. And I didn't have plan to kind of think about a girl seriously. And I was hoping that I would start dating multiple women. And now I'm, finding out that this girl is the dating 
process with this girl is working really well and I'm fe having fears of success because I didn't, I was not looking, expecting for a commitment or to things were go to so fast with this with one woman. And, and now, yeah, I'm kind of holding myself back and taking things slower and well, yeah, yeah. It's, that's fear of success. And then in regards to my career, I had to kind of quote unquote, get to the end of the wrong ladders in order to find out my, my purpose or my calling or my direction in life. And that's one of the things I want to change, uh, be able to make decisions without having to explore each and every path or option available. Reminds me, there was a girl I, um, I was dating a few years back <clears throat> and she kept like pushing me to like call us girlfriend and boyfriend. So I finally said, okay. And then two weeks later, she broke up with me. And I was just like, <laughs> it's funny. It, what matters about that situation is looking back on it now is look at how easy she was able to let go of a commitment. You know, she really pushed for it. But as soon as she realized she didn't want it anymore, she ended it. And there's something quite admirable in that, which is she can go all in on something because she trusts herself to pull herself out if she changes her mind. She doesn't have a fear of commitment because for her, a commitment is only how I feel right now. There's no future contract. Where a lot of people who struggle with decision-making about big things is what they're really saying is they don't trust their ability to break away from it. They don't trust their ability to have the confrontations that would be needed to have the kind of humility to show everyone, hey, I made a, made, made a mistake, I'm changing my mind on this. Have other people think you're flaky. Um, mm. All those kinds of things, we're actually afraid of the kind of social consequences of not sticking in. We've been told all our lives that only losers quit. And it's kind of thing like, if I make a decision, I'm going all in. Even if I don't want to, I've got to stick with it for life. You know, And we feel like we're not going to have the ability, the balls, the courage to go, you know what? I'm only a month into this, but I was wrong. Fuck this. I'm out. You think once I'm in, I'm locked in because I can't let people see that I was wrong. Right? Mm. And this is quite often like one of the things that helped me overcome my fear of commitment, uh, like getting married as I just have, which was my girlfriend and I constantly had this agreement. If one of us doesn't want to do this anymore, we end it. And it seems like something that doesn't need to be said, but we did need to say it because I was afraid more like I wouldn't want to be here and then I'd stay. I'm too scared to end it, too scared to break her heart, too scared to show everyone I was wrong. You know, mm. I had to be like, actually, either of us can do that. The other one just has to take it, you know. And that's actually what's allowed me to stay in, knowing I could leave any time, all the pressure comes off. I'm like, actually, I do want to be here. It's fine. I'm not confused about that. Mm. It's only when I think I have to stay that I start getting confused. Yeah. So I want you guys to notice that decisive people trust their ability to withdraw their investment, to cut their losses. They don't, they don't suffer from sunk cost fallacy. If they're all in on something, it doesn't work out. They just go, fine, fuck it. They don't try to recoup their costs. You know, they just go, I lost. They're okay with being wrong. They're okay with being seen as wrong. They're okay with being judged for being wrong. And that's why they can make decisions quickly because they'll deal with being wrong. 
But when it comes to, when it comes to marriage, for example, I've been reading a lot of uh, blogs and books about from the red pill current and they kind of warn guys that yes, you can change your decision when once you're in a marriage, but then it, it's, it's costly to get a divorce. And that's why they're warning guys to reevaluate their decision of marrying someone because the cost of that wrong decision is, can basically leave them not broke, but you don't have, they'll end up sharing, have to split their assets, their net worth, uh, a lot of things. And then, rights over children and so so that's uh sometimes what we need to evaluate as well are the consequences or the downsides of these important decisions like you know marrying someone or changing a career yeah how do you what do you, what's your take on that the take on is the decisive person says okay if all that happens i'll handle it and that's what i saw in the red pill is a lot of can't handle they can't handle a divorce. They can't handle splitting bills. They can't handle shared custody. And that's why they're scared of it. Whereas somebody mm -hmm. goes all in on marriage, like for me, I know, actually, I'm pretty good with Czech Republic law. It's very much in favor of the guy, but <laughs> I would split my assets, even if the law didn't tell me to. I'm already prepared to do that. I'm not like, oh my God, I hope that doesn't happen. I'm like, if it does happen, I'll handle it. Mm -hmm. The red pill guy is like, I can't handle that, so we can't let it happen. So the problem is if you're like, okay, I can't make a decision because of the cost of it failing, then you can't make any decision because all of them have a failure cost. A decisive person is willing to pay the cost. An indecisive person isn't. Mm. And I think that must be the clearest difference. Mm -hmm. There's also, and specifically on the wedding thing, some people try to use marriage to get out of decision making rather than like every week deciding, do I still want to be with this girl? And I just get married and that's decided for life. I don't have to think about that anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have to think about how I feel about other girls anymore. And I don't have to think about other people anymore. I don't have to think about all these big life decisions anymore. Cause now I'm a married guy and half those decisions mm -hmm. are made this yeah, is from decision making. It's definitely something I wanted to bring up as well, because I don't think I've uh, experienced uh, the, that fear of commitment very consciously before I make a decision. But I do often have that sort of grass is greener type thing mm. where I'm in a commitment and I find myself uh, thinking that another option would be better all the time. Well, actually, if I really think deeper about it, Probably that's not true. No matter which way you go, the grass is always greener because that's just the way the human brain works, you know, and partly this is why being decisive is helpful because you'll have a lot of experiences if you're decisive and it'll give you a range of evidence so that you'll know what's best for you. You'll go try it rather than think about it and you'll try a lot of it. So a guy who, who has a fear of commitment with women the guy who doesn't is the guy who's had a lot of different types of relationships, been with lots of different women, just sort of gone with his gut and seen what happens. And now he knows he's not going to miss out. He's, he's, he's played the field and now he's, you know, he knows that basically women have more similarities and they have differences kind of thing. And as long as he loves one, that that'll be enough. What's interesting. If we go back to like that red pill style of, um, fear of commitment is so often, I believe 
the red pill type mindset guy gets into a marriage, he's so concerned about the commitment that that's what sabotages the marriage. <laughs> the thing is he was distant. He wasn't present. He was worried. He was controlling. He was jealous all because he was worried about the commitment. And that's what drove her away. And you quite often see this in the Red Bull forums, like 90% of divorces are initiated by women. And they make that out as a claim that against women. I'm like, the women are leaving the men. It's the men who are the fucking problem. <laughs> right? Most women die to save their relationship. If they're initiating a divorce, they have expended all fucking options. They are down to scraping the last possible option. Very few women go, okay, first option is divorce. You know? Yeah. And so for, for a guy to say a woman initiated divorce, therefore she's doing something wrong. No, no, no. He's driven her away relentlessly with needy, fucked up, neglectful behavior, most likely. And it's because he felt that pressure. Like I can't get out of this. I'm stuck. This is a risk rather than a, I can bail at any point. I just got to decide whether or not I feel like staying another day. That's the only decision I ever need to make. And secondly, if I do, I know what I signed up for. I'll handle it. She takes half my shit. I'll handle it. I have to share custody. I'll handle it. Mm. I'm willing to pay the price to have a life. And that's ultimately what decisiveness is, is understanding there is no cost-free decision-making. There's no right decision that has no wrong consequence. Right? You choose the right career, you miss out on all the other careers. Like I'm a coach now and I'm, I'm okay with that. But maybe I could have been an actor. I was a pretty good fucking actor as a nice guy. You know, I had everyone convinced. I could have put that on the screen. Maybe I could be famous by now. Who knows? <laughs> you know? I played in a band and I stuck with heavy metal, but maybe if I had done a different genre, I'd be in a famous band. Mm. Maybe this, maybe that, blah, blah, blah. There's so many options, so many doors I've closed. Right? But I don't focus on those. I focus on the one that I've opened and I try to make the most of it. And if I don't like it anymore, then I close it and find another one. Mm. And there's no wrong. It's just the comet moving forward, dropping pieces behind it. The comet never goes backwards. The arrow of time goes in one direction. You know? Whereas you'll notice if you're going to say a red pill forum around women, it's constant revision of the past, constantly looking backwards. What shouldn't mm. I have done? How badly I was treated? What went wrong? Rather than like, how am I going to take this forward? You know, so the avoidance of past pain rather than embracing future pain. So no matter what decision I make, it's going to hurt. Like I really want to have kids, but I know those kids are going to break my heart. Definitely. There's no, there's no fucking avoidance of that. You don't have a kid who's perfect and never hurts your feelings. Right. So this idea like you're always going to pay for every decision you make, a decisive person's just made their peace with that. It doesn't really matter what I choose. There's a payment. So I don't yeah. need to worry about getting it wrong because they're all kind of wrong and they're all kind of right. Depends what I do with them. Yeah. I think really it comes down to trust issues. Decisive person trusts themselves to handle however it goes. They don't trust that they know what's going to happen. They trust to handle the unknown. All right. And the thing is, this is self-fulfilling. Like if I am decisive, I'll keep putting myself in the unknown and I'll keep handling it. And then now there's proof that I handle the unknown. 
I think the reason I'm decisive is because originally I was impulsive, which means I got into a lot of the unknowns. You know, like uh, one of my best experiences that I would never repeat, but was helpful was I took a lot of drugs when I was younger and drugs get you into a lot of unknowns, (laughs) especially when you mix them and it's your first time and you don't have a buddy watching you or whatever. I got myself into some shit, you know, some really dangerous situations some really fucked up weird situations. Some very all by myself. What the hell, how the fuck do I get home kind of situations? And I'd solved them all, you know, and the solutions weren't great. There was sometimes the three and a half hour walk home because I couldn't find any other way, you know, or there was the hide behind a tree because all the flowers are coming at me or whatever. You know, there was some pretty poor kind of problem solving, but every morning I'd wake up somewhere on a floor somewhere (laughs) and I'd be still alive, you know? And most of the time I still have my wallet and phone and stuff like I I made it. And, And that built up a trust. I'm like, even if this thing goes to shit, I've been through that before. I'll get through it again. And the funny thing is, is I'm not more capable than you guys. I just know my capability. Two of you, for example, have gotten yourself into plenty of shit and you're still here. Mm. In fact, as you've probably gotten yourself into more because being indecisive causes more problems than being impulsive. Mm. Missing out on opportunities, getting yourself down to like the last few shitty options and not knowing which one. You know, life gets pretty bad when you're indecisive and yet here you are. You've survived all of that. Mm. All the mistakes you've made, all the unknowns you got yourself into anything you're kind of thriving you're doing all right so the idea that you can't trust yourself to handle something going wrong is really kind of a lie yeah because you've handled everything so far the evidence doesn't support you in your belief that you won't handle it going wrong you won't enjoy it going wrong but that's different handling something and enjoying it are two different things like this one's oh, it's a funny time where I missed a flight. Um, I was on my I was on my iPad and I didn't change the time zone on it. And I was watching that time. I was in an hour different place. And so the just when I went down to the lounge, the flight was taken off sort of thing. <laughs> and they had one flight a day. So I had, our 20, I had fucking 24 hours to get through. And I had to like check out by the flight and I'm in this fucking place where nobody speaks English and I had to sleep on a floor and it just sucked. The whole 24 hours sucked from start to finish. I hated it. It cost me a grand. It was terrible. You know, it was my last Mm. dollars. Nobody there to help me. Not enough credit on my phone to make calls. It was a fucking nightmare. So I didn't enjoy any of that. But obviously I got out of that airport, right? So that's what the trust is about. The trust is no, no matter how shitty it is or embarrassing it is or awkward or humiliating, literally physically painful, you'll get through it. Once you know that, the decision isn't such a big deal anymore. There is no really like, which is the right one. It's just like, just do one of them. You'll figure it out. Three career options. Which one do you feel most good about? Okay, just go for it. If in two weeks you don't like it, you bail. Fuck it. You know? Mm. You're not committed. And also, if everyone goes, oh, man, you couldn't choose a career, you just go, well, go fuck yourself. 
you don't actually have to care about that reaction or do anything about it and impress people. It quite often it get, takes this like snowball effect, like an uh, example I wrote down in my notes. You're like, you're worried about confronting your ex about something because you think she'll talk shit about you to other people and then they'll talk shit and this big reputation about you will build and then you won't be able to get a job and you have to go live in a different country and then they'll find out about it because of the internet and you have to go live in the woods. You know, this kind of snowballing effect of all this shit you can't handle happening, you know. And because you've also got that trust in your predictions, like not only can I imagine this, because I can imagine it, it's probably true. You know, you freeze. Like there's no way I can do this tiny action when it comes with that fucking massive consequence. You know, and it makes sense to freeze when you have certainty about that. But what I'm telling you as a decisive person is uncertain about that. They're like, yeah, shit might go down, but I don't know what kind of shit. I gotta go find out. Let's go see. Mm. At least nothing else. I'm going to learn something. There'll be some sort of training in it for me. And that's the key thing here is not only can they handle it, is they know that handling it is the real benefit here. That even something going wrong is going to be good for them. They'll be stronger, wiser, smarter, more street smart. They'll know how to handle shit more. It's like when I um, first traveled by myself, I'm like, this is definitely going to go poorly because my, my organizational skills are just terrible, you know, and it did. But all the whole time, I'm just being toughened up, you know. Now I'm calm in situations where others panic because I'm like, I've been through this before. It's no biggie. Right? It creates anti-fragility. Mm. What are you guys' thoughts on all this before we look at solutions, which I'll be moving into next? I, th I think that you're spot on because if I look at successful people around me, people that I admire, they're normally they're very decisive and they can handle the consequences of poor, poor decisions they, they probably made. And yes, so in that sense, I can relate to what you said, like indecisiveness leads to i think a poor poor quality of life and you um, lead to miss, missed opportunities and whereas successful people stick with their decisions and they make the most of the path they choose and the decisions they make yeah mm -hmm. mm. yeah it, it definitely resonates with me as well because um it, it's like the words <laughs> um well one one thing i i still wanted to ask though let's just, just do that first um because what i touched on a bit earlier about uh, like uh, taking other people's preferences into account before you make a decision uh it's kind of confusing to me how that fits in exactly uh so that's a question i still had mm. So the idea that you slow down because other people are going to be affected by your decision? Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Just with a simple example, like uh, maybe you, you uh, want to decide where to eat or something. Very simple example. But uh, instead of just saying, hey, I want to eat here, um, you're thinking about oh, what would other people probably like to eat and then I'll mm. uh, subconsciously make that decision for them and then go along with that 
to please them. Mm -hmm. It's typical people pleasing thing, I guess. <laughs> Well, that's the exact same concept of what Christian was talking about. I was trying to find the optimal decision. Mm. The funny thing is quite often the optimal decision is not actually what you want. It's what pleases all the, all the kind of variables. It's, it's what not just other people, but like your bank account or your uh, reputation or whatever. It's this kind of thing that like ticks all the boxes. And mm. quite often yeah. by the time you finish ticking all the boxes, you've actually forgotten what you really wanted. You're so busy picking boxes, which, and the boxes have nothing to do yeah. with your own satisfaction. In a sense, they have a, the greatest satisfaction of maybe being validated or being famous or being rich or whatever, but not the satisfaction of I'm living my life. Right. Yeah, and, and then definitely also um, what I wanted to say just now is that um, it kind of the fear of missing out thing really attaches to the feeling that you have to maximize your uh, enjoyment and your pleasure out of the situation. Well, actually, what you said. Uh, what's really good uh, that a wrong decision can be even more helpful sometimes like putting yourself into the space where you're uncertain and it's kind of unpleasurable because of a decision you made that's actually more helpful in the end sometimes oh yeah going up and asking a girl out and her saying no is so much better than not asking her out at all so much better um, and sometimes even better than her saying yes especially if she's wrong for you <laughs> but what you're talking about is this kind of uh, people pleasing thing which is I've got to make this decision in a way that doesn't wreck anybody else's world and doesn't hurt anybody else's outcomes yeah. and you're definitely going to freeze there because there is no decision that can carry that you can get close to it with massive amounts of people pleasing and self-sacrifice but other people can be upset no matter what you do so it's always out of your hands the thing is, the person doesn't express what they want. They think, before I can express what I want, I have to come to this final decision. Without realizing that within the greater umbrella of making a big decision, there are lots of little decisions and lots of little expressions, a kind of drafting process. So I think I want that and let's have a taste of that and maybe I like that. Like, for example, before I decided on being a coach, I tried rehabilitating offenders. I tried managing staff. I tried running training sessions. And then I discovered coaching. So there's other decisions before the big one, you might say. The solution to what you're talking about is essentially, let's say I want to choose what, I, what to have for dinner, but there's a group of us eating. And I'm not just going to be like, eat pizza or I'll fucking kill you guys. You know, like I want to have some sort of um, consensus here. The size of people will say, I want pizza. Now, they're open to discussion, but decision one, I know what I want. Boom. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to psychopathically dominate their way through the pizza. They may allow themselves to be persuaded, but they went with what they want and expressed that immediately. Like someone even choosing a career, to start off by saying, I want to be an actor. Now, you might not end up being an actor, but getting that one out the way very quickly and first because that's the one that came to you strongest not reconsidering that before you've even expressed it. It must be expressed and tried and played with before it's reconsidered. The problem with overthinkers is that they do all the expressing and reconsidering in their head. They don't put it out there in some sort of expression or behavior. You know, somebody go, I feel like, you know, trying salsa dancing. Oh, but what if I'm no good at it? And I don't know if salsa dancing is really the style that I'm really interested in. Do I know anybody else who even wants to? 
the social person goes, okay, I want to try salsa dancing, so I'm going to do one class, and then I'll reconsider it. They do something. They at least tell somebody they want, you know. And there's very little harm in that little bit of expression. Mm-hmm. There's also a polarizing factor here. If me constantly expressing what I want and having little tastes of it and kind of going for it hurts someone, frustrates them, drives them away, they shouldn't be in my life. Because if this hurts them, me going for what I really want is going to destroy them. The thing is, they don't actually, them getting hurt by it isn't your problem. Right? Now, there is some sort of room for debate, like your own children, for example. But a decisive person will carry the family with them. They'll make it work. You know? Like, let's say they want to do some job that requires a lot of travel. Their family wants them to stay home. They'll find some sort of compromise in the middle where they're doing their job, but they spend more time with their family, perhaps. But they're not going to be like, okay, this might slightly affect my family, so I'm going to cancel that option out. They'll explore it. They'll try and find a way to make it work. The decisive person will at least give it a go. Okay. So if I understand well, you're basically suggesting that instead of trying to make the right decisions and getting it right, making optimal decisions, we become more decisive and handle the consequences of that decisiveness. Basically, yes. You train yourself to handle decisiveness. Yeah. And you won't handle it well at first, but you'll quickly adjust. The reason human beings rule the planet is because we're very good at handling shit. We're very good at fixing things that we broke. Right? Yeah. We don't do it with everything, but we can do it. <laughs> so we might have global warming, but we could actually fix that problem, you know? And, and you'll be able to fix whatever mess you make. And the funny thing is, like, nice guys and people pleasers are actually excellent at cleaning up messes. You know, helping people feel good after they feel bad, all that kind of stuff. We were really good at doing that. So you're already trained in cleaning up messes. Now you're just going to get trained in making messes. Right, instead of waiting for them to be cleaned up. Instead of trying to pre-clean them in your head, prevent them from happening. Right. Yeah. So another question I have for you is, and we discussed this earlier. So have you ever heard of the paradox of choice? Yes. So in your, in your case, do you normally make, prefer to have fewer options rather than have multiple options in order to make a decision? I want to get down to one option as quickly as possible. So you don't um, wait for more options to consider or more options to arrive, come to you. Let's say you have two options, but if you waited two more hours, you'd have five options. Mm. You'd rather stick with those two options and not waste those extra hours and make a decision with those two options. What I hear again is that fear of commitment coming in. I don't have that. I'll choose something quickly, but I'll put it down again just as quickly. So I can go all in on something and something better comes along and I'll go all out immediately and go all in on the better thing. So I'll go ahead with something until something so much better and obvious like throws itself at me. But I won't go seeking it as such. I'll try and give you an example of this. Like when I met my girl, 
I was dating a few different girls at the time. And then, so I'm not all in on any of them because I didn't feel like going all in on any of them. But I just asked myself, do I want to see them one more time? And so I would. That's the only decision I ever need to make. But then when she came in, it was like getting hit in the face with like a connection. You know, she just stood out compared to the, to the other two that I was seeing at the time. And so I just went like, okay, I'm letting go of those other two right now. Like I want, I want something big and meaningful. I don't want like a big, wide, like open buffet all the time. Knowing, of course, that even if we go into this three weeks and I decide I'm against it, I'm willing to go back to zero. I've lost the other two, maybe never see them again, so be it. There's seven billion people out there. I'll find another one. You know, it's a, that comet trail effect. Okay, as soon as something is not exactly what I want, I just let it go and I move forward. So you were the one that made the decision to kind of become exclusive in the dating process with your now wife. Basically, but it was more a kind of joint thing. She didn't want open relationship and I had to decide her or open. So the decision was her or multiples. And I said, her is better than multiples. I made that decision very quickly. Now, I, I couldn't know that that was going to work out in the future. I just knew that if it didn't, I'd handle it. Yeah, because I'm, I'm at a very similar point with this girl I mentioned earlier. Uh, and I'm not, I, I have this, we have built this strong connection the last three weeks now. But I'm not willing to be exclusive with her because she hasn't, raised the topic yet and i'm waiting Great for time. her to I... <laughs> um even though i feel that the connection's there i feel it's too early to kind of leave all the other options aside two weeks into this you change your mind change your mind When you say you want to go exclusive, you don't say, let's be together forever. You say, right here, right now, I just want you. I can't promise anything, but that's what I want. So let's move ahead with that. Well, Again, this is what really helped me and my girls. We're both kind of commitment phobic. Me just because of commitment in general and her because we're living in different places and it was a logistic kind of nightmare. And we, we didn't really date. We'd see each other for entire weekends and then go a few weeks without because of the distance. So what we just said is like, look, all we'll do is at the end of each time we see each other is ask, do we both want to see each other again? If the answer is yes, then we do it. That's, that is our relationship. And while we're doing that, we don't see other people. Until that ends, that's kind of the agreement. When did you feel that it was convenient to become exclusive? Uh, when you fell in love with her, when after a while? Partly it's because I have a hell yes, hell no approach, which is with her, I was hell yes, and the others, I was like, yeah, not bad. Mm. And yeah, not bad is not hell yes. And I'm trying to eliminate not hell yeses from my life at all the times. One of the things that helps me be very decisive is I'm always cutting out options that I don't feel fully enthusiastic about. I trust my enthusiasm. If I'm not like, fuck yeah, then it's not that good. So bye. 
Whereas indecisive people, I think, constantly trying to keep as many options open as possible. Mm. I hate fucking options. I'm trying to cut them down. I want to get down to one as soon as possible. One where I'm just like, I am all in on this thing. One career, one girl, one exercise. You know, all in, all my energy. In order to simplify life, is that the main goal behind it? Yeah, well, it creates a streamline for decision-making. If I'm all in, then I'm not distracted. I make decisions about my coaching business very quickly because I'm all in on my coaching business. I don't have this kind of like, what if I wasn't a coach? What else could I be? And this, this thing just taking my attention away, you know? Yeah. But I also have this commitment thing. Like, if, if I wake up tomorrow, I'm like, I'm done with coaching. Then I'm done with it. And I will handle that. It's like I handled every other job that I left. I'll find another one. I'll grieve and move on. But I don't feel like that today. So today I'm all in. Okay. Let me cover a few of the solutions and welcome back, Thomas. With each of those kind of fears we talked about, I, I drafted some solutions or I sort of drafted how I approach these things. So overthinking and perfectionism, because I should point out that while I talk about myself as being decisive, I still struggle with all of these things at least sometimes. Okay. The best thing I find for overthinking is, a, is some sort of quantitative limit, usually a time limit. For example, the best one you can think of within a certain time, by then you've got to go with it. So for example, if I'm with the example I used before of writing a cover letter for a business, uh, for a job application, I get three goes at writing the cover letter and then I have to send the best one. So I'll give myself some room to deliberate, um, but then I'll just go for it. Or when it comes to approaching new people, the three second rule, you got three seconds to move. Right. And just trusting that a time limit, will actually be more likely to lead you to good decisions than having lots of time. Because the initial decision, like, I want to talk to her, that's very quick. No reconsideration required. You know what you want. What are we having for dinner? I feel like pizza. It's straight there. Give yourself, you got 10 seconds to decide what you want to eat. You know? What the best thing you can think of in 10 seconds, that's what you're eating. And if that's a shitty thing, go eat the shitty thing. Follow through, no matter what. The best decision you can come up with in your little time limit is terrible. Still follow through on the terrible thing because you need to show that you will be decisive. You need to show yourself that you will pick something and handle it. To give yourself the reassurance next time there won't be all that pressure to get it right. And it can be kind of fun. One of the things that helped me hone my decisiveness was doing the yes man kind of challenge so from the book yes man which is you know, what the movie was based on the guy just said yes to everything his decision was pre-made on everything and it was interesting because that wasn't really a better or worse year than any other year i realized fuck the decision i make barely even matters i could go yes on everything it's the same as going no on everything or going yes and no and thinking it through because it's what i do with the decision that matters the decision itself is almost arbitrary. It just creates a reality for me to deal with. I don't know if that's going to be better or worse than what else was available because there is nothing else available. 
There is only ever one reality. Time only ever goes in one direction. So when you say yes to everything, it's just okay. So these are things I have to deal with. You say no to everything. Those are the things you have to deal with. You got to deal with something. Quite often when people make decision making, the reason they take so much time is they're trying to find something where they won't have to deal with much. There won't be a hassle afterwards. Mm. Rather than going, look, it's going to be a hassle either way. Let's just get a hassle. Let's get one going. You know, I panicked when I had 10 seconds to choose what to eat. Now I'm eating porridge. All right. We're going to make the most of porridge three o'clock in the afternoon for some reason. Right. Just kind of doing it. And it can be fun for you. You know, you're like, yeah, I've got five seconds to choose who in this room I want to talk to. You're like, oh, fuck, 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 uh, that guy. Oh, Jesus, I've got to talk to that guy now. Well, let's go, mm. let's go talk to that guy. Who's he going to be? Who knows? You'll find that if you spent an hour deliberately trying to choose the best person to talk to, it wouldn't have made much difference. It wouldn't have been a better decision. In fact, in that hour, you could talk to 20 people if you're decisive as opposed to choosing this elite one that turns out to just be some random dude anyway. Yeah. So time limits. Bigger decision doesn't necessarily mean bigger time limit. You know, you go, oh, I've got these three career options to choose from. Okay. So choose one by the end of the day. Knowing that 24 hours into this thing, you can still change your mind. But you don't know which of these three is going to be best until you fucking do them. So it's doing them that's going to happen quickly, not thinking about them. You only think what you already know, and you've already thought about that. Right? That's done. When it comes to green light syndrome, one of my favorite uh, sort of quotes is that idea of asking for forgiveness rather than permission. Assume that there's never going to be the right time and place to do something. Something you want to say, something you want to do. There's never going to be this like opening, this invitation. I call it crowbarring. You just got to like crowbar this thing in there. It doesn't fit. You just have to jam it in there and make a space and jam it in there. Uh, an example is I, um, I had I'd used uh, porn to masturbate you know, a little while ago. And I hadn't told Lucy about it, and it'd been a while, and I hadn't told her about it. I'm like, ah, you know, dishonesty's eating at me. And I'm sitting there at breakfast, and I'm just about to go into doing some work. I can't think of a worse time to talk about wanking to porn. I'm like, <laughs> this has to happen sometime. It's never going to be an awesome time to talk about it. So, rushed into breakfast is when it's going to happen. And then I did. I just crowbarred it into a breakfast conversation. She was halfway through telling me something else. I said, wait, stop. Uh, I masturbated to porn, you know, and it just can just threw it in there like a bucket of cold water because that's what no green light looks like. You just go on a red. It doesn't mean I boulder through it. I then say what I had to say and let her respond. I do what I have to do and let people give me feedback. So if I've done it wrong, I'll let them tell me that and we'll fix it, but I'll go do it wrong. And then we work on it rather than trying to get it right. Yeah. I'm not going to understand like going as a leader, initiating, going without uh, permission or an invitation doesn't mean you psychopathically dominate. doesn't mean you just bulldoze your way through someone's life and destroy them. It just means you push in a little bit, an inch. And then you go, are you cool with me doing this? After it's done. 
you know, I used to get in trouble a lot of my job because I'd kind of think outside the box in a way and I wouldn't ask, I'd just go do it. And I'd be breaking these kind of invisible rules or very visible rules sometimes. And I, you know, I'm like the naughty kid at school. Half my, half my time's in the principal's office, you know, <laughs> I'm at work. It's like, Dan, can I see you again? I'm like, oh, fucking this time. Right. Right. So I was kind of sort of getting into minor trouble. Now I wasn't like breaching the code of conduct or anything. I was just trying to be creative and, and breaking the mold that everyone was using. And so I get told off like once or twice a month for what I was doing, but my career progression significantly outperformed all my peers. Cause I was the go-getter guy who was willing to take risks and people started using me as that kind of human shield. The higher ups would be like, damn, we're going to let you do this, but it's not attached to us. Okay. We just need to see what happens. Well, like, fine, fuck it. I'll do it. And they promoted me because I was that guy. You know, I was willing to be decisive and willing to take the heat. You know, I'd tell my team to do something, they'd make a mistake, and then I'd say that's my fault. And I'd take the heat from my team so they didn't suffer. And people saw that in me, and that's why I got promoted. You know, it wasn't a skill thing, it was just a bravery thing. Right? But also, because when it went wrong, I took responsibility for it and fixed it as much as I could. So they were okay with me getting things wrong because I wouldn't just make a mess and run away and make a mess and now clean it up. When it comes to fear of getting it wrong, there's two things that I employ. One is what I call drafting and the other is an exit strategy. And this helps with that fear of commitment as well. Is there's something I want to do and I design like what is the very smallest first draft look at doing this. So let's say I feel like dancing. It might just be going to one dance class. Or I feel like being exclusive with a girl, giving it a go for a week. You know, with permission to reassess and bail afterwards. Mm. That's the key here. I'm allowed to quit. See, a lot of people, they don't go in because they don't really allow themselves to quit things once they're committed. Mm. I am allowed to quit things. I'm allowed to try stuff before I make a more permanent decision. So you, you, you have an idea of what would be testing this look like. When will I reassess? And if I reassess and change my mind, how will I bail out? And that's the most amount of planning really anything needs. What's a test look like? What does bailing out look like? Give myself permission to do both. Make sure everybody who's involved knows what's happening. Boom. So I go to the dance class, go, look, I'm not sure if I want to dance. I just want to try this one time. And if I like it, I'll come back next week. You know, I tell my girl, like, you know, I want it to be just you and, I, you and me. I'm cool with that. But I can't promise how I'm going to feel in the future. So let's just see how I feel about it in a month from now. You know? Just give myself permission to bail. And because I got that permission, it's easier to stick with something. I'm like, well, I can bail anytime. And you'll start to realize that any commitment is just one test after another. You're never actually committed. I've been doing coaching for like six years. I think actually six years today. I had to check that. This might be my anniversary. <laughs> um, I'm terrible with anniversaries. Um, but even those six years, I'm still not committed really. I was like, if I wake up next week and I don't love this anymore, I'll do something else. But I don't feel like that yet. So one more week, you know, 
Yeah. And because it relieves that pressure, I realize I actually do really like this and this, I'm probably going to stick with it for quite a while. And me not liking it must be a long way off in the future because I'm not even close to that yet. And that's kind of deals with the fear of success as well as the fear of failure. Just a little test that can only go a little bit wrong. And if it does go wrong and you don't like it, you bail. But if it goes well and you do like it, you do another test a little bit more, you know, put your foot a bit deeper in the water. You know, I do one dance class. I really like it. Okay. I'll do the whole eight week course. I really like that. Okay, I'll sign up to the performance team. I really like that. Okay, I'll find a private dance partner and we'll compete together. I'm upping the, the game each time, but based on I've already tried this and I handled it and I liked it, so I can trust that I can go a bit deeper in. Not like, okay, I'm either going to become a dancer for life or not at all, right from the beginning and scare the shit out of myself, right? So you can set that minimum commitment level, mission to end. It's like uh, I was really clear with my girlfriend about our marriage vows. We can't promise to be together forever in our vows. It's a lie. We can't do that. All we can talk about is how we feel about each other now. Mm. That's why I'm comfortable being married. I know legally it's supposed to be this lifelong contract, but that's not what I signed up to. I signed up to being her husband now. I'm still happy with that. If that changes, it changes. Okay. Yeah, you both of you are aware that that might change in two years, three years, six years. We talk about it all the time. You know, we constantly like, like we'll be, especially during a really good moment. One of us might say, like, oh, I hope we still feel like this in a year. You know. Wow. But we, we, it's like facing death. We know that this relationship's got to end at some point. At the very least, one of us is going to die first. Right? That's the best possible way this can end. That's like the longest term relationship we could possibly have is one of us dies first. It may end before that another way. We know that. And we can almost like, it, it brings in a gratitude. Like if we're having a good moment, we're like, man, one day we won't have these. Rather than like this is guaranteed for life, and that you say that out loud, really? No, in the I'm moment, about it all the time. <laughs> okay, sounds pessimistic. <laughs> Killing the moment. <laughs> it's more like gratitude. It's appreciating the moment. Okay, like we don't get to guarantee another one of these cuddles or another one of these trips together. This might be the last one. Mm. Rather than like, eh, get complacent about it because it's like locked in for life, which is how most married people act. And that's my opinion why they get divorced. They become complacent, and lazy. They don't appreciate each other because they think, well, how can I appreciate something I'm going to be having for 70 years guaranteed no matter how I behave? But somebody thinks like, you notice somebody who's in a relationship with someone who's terminally ill appreciates their partner so much more than someone who's in a relationship with a healthy person. One of you has got some serious waterworks going on. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just mute you um, until that's finished. Um, trusting in your predictions. The problem with that 
obviously is that your predictions are usually wrong or that there's no way of testing them because you can't find out what could have happened. So what I tend to do is I treat all my decision-making as an experiment. My, my kind of motto when it comes to decision-making is let's see what happens. Mm. I just need to do the restart video thing again. Uh, Chris, if you could turn yours on and off. Um, Okay, there we go. So, where was I? This kind of let's see what happens thing. And then measuring against your predictions. You can't help but have expectations. You're always going to. Your brain just guesses what's going to happen all the time to try and you know, assess the threats or potential opportunities. But I always sort of catch myself and go, there's no way that's 100% correct. I've got this thing that... Uh, I notice things like this, like for example, um, with coaching, I'm almost always in some form of like online contact with someone before I see them for the first time and they never look like the way I imagine they're going to look. And sometimes it's quite drastically different. Like I got this uh, one client, his first name is Ian and Ian sounds like an old man name to me. So I imagine this kind of like slightly portly, bald guy, you know, glasses, mm. And then this young dude, like half my age, shows up with a full head of hair, really like good looking guy. I was just like, you're Ian? Like as if he had actually been the other guy before and something changed. And that's because like I do that all the time. I, I'm going to someone's house. I imagine what it's going to look like on the inside and it never looks like that. I imagine how a situation I'm, in, I'm going towards is going to go like public speaking or a party and it never goes like that. And then I came to realize, well, it never goes the way I guess. Even when I really know a situation, it goes a little bit different. So I just hold on to that. And so I go, it doesn't really matter what I do when it comes to decision making, because I'm just going to have to see what happens. It never goes the way I think it's going to go. Not exactly. And that way it goes from trying to make something happen, trying to make the expectation come true, to just seeing how wrong it was. It's like an interesting experiment. So if I go up to a girl that I like, for example, you know, I'm not going up saying like, I hope she likes me back. It's more like, I hope she likes me back. Let's see how she actually feels about me. And then I compare the two. You know, and sometimes it goes the other way too. You're like, okay, I'm going to go talk to that guy at the party. He looks pretty hostile. I think he's going to be a bit of a dick. But let's see. Let's see what he's like. You know, talk to him. Like, Fuck, he's a cool ass dude. I wouldn't have thought. I actually literally had this experience uh, a few months ago my engagement party, I think, sort of thing. And there's a big tattooed ass dude there, which is ironic because I got tattoos, but I was judging him. Um, and I was like, oh, look at this surly guy in the corner. He's got like a motorcycle, like gang looking jacket on and shit. Mm. I was like, all right, well, let's go find out what he's actually like. I spent the whole night chatting with him, Brojo style conversations about self-development and shit and relationships. Um, I was totally wrong about him. Totally wrong. Um, and that was interesting for me. We don't have to be mates or anything after that. It's just, okay, wow. It was so much different to how I thought. And sometimes getting it right is just interesting as well. You're like, oh, that person was a dick. I knew it. Oh, well, it's going to be it. But the whole thing's this experiment. This way, it doesn't really matter what I decide to do because I just want to see what happens. What happens when I start a coaching business? What happens when I write a book and publish it? What happens if I get married and become a husband? What happens if I have kids? Rather than I hope X happens, I hope Y happens, I hope Y doesn't happen. 
So that's what I think will happen. Let's see what actually happens. I'll handle it either way. Yeah. Do you focus sometimes on the downsides? Because, for example, in having kids, you know that mm. once you bring them into the world, you kind of return them. So, yeah. So. That's actually, uh, that, that segues beautifully into the last point I was going to make on this, mm. which is when you've got trust issues with yourself that you can't handle it, have a backup plan. How will you handle it going wrong? So it's actually negative visualization. It all goes to shit, but rather than just thinking about it going to shit, think about your reaction to it going to shit, you handling it yeah. as a kind of a plan. So quite often like a guy, let's say a guy's attracted to someone and wants to talk to them, he imagines getting rejected as it's called. And that's as far as his imagination goes, just the rejection. He doesn't imagine like his escape from the rejection and getting over it, moving on. He just imagines the bad bit, you know. Mm. So you ask yourself, okay, if it is going to be a mess, how will I clean it up? I've already thought about things like how will I handle it if I have a child and it dies? Mm. You know? So that that, because that's the thing I'm scared of having a kid, you know, I've known a few people had miscarriages. I've known um, some people I, I watch online. I was just watching a video before this call um, from a girl who's recently died and her father's a coach and she was just talking about having cystic fibrosis and he was gutted, you know, he was destroyed for years after she died. Um, I'm kind of like, okay, the worst thing about having a kid is that they might die before you do. So how would mm. I handle that? How would I cope with the grief? How would I maybe turn that into to a book or something that would help other people? You know, I thought, I've already thought about that. So if that happens, I know I'll get through it. I've got like a basic plan for that. Um, so you just ask yourself, if there is going to be a mess, how will I clean it up? How will I escape, recover, repair, you know, and you can even go to worst, worst case scenario. Um, you know, I've got like, uh, I think about it sometimes there's girls I've slept with when we're both drunk or whatever. What if one of them decides to go all me too on me, you know, decides that that wasn't consenting. How will I handle that? It's interesting. So I'll go look at videos, you know. I was accused of sexual assault. I've got a client who's been falsely accused. He's it has destroyed his life. Um, and I was like, okay, that's good to see what could happen. Now, rather than bury them my head in the sand, what would I do if I was him? And I think about the solution rather than just the problem. Mm. You know, how would I recover? How would I, how would I move on with my life? Even if I couldn't, you know, if everyone was convinced and I couldn't change their mind, what would I do to survive that? You know, and I consider it. But when it comes to making individual decisions, I think what's the most likely thing to go wrong, how will I handle that? Rather than how do I prevent it? Which is what creates indecisiveness. Yeah. So it's being kind of aware of, having that certainty that you can handle the consequences of their decisions you make rather than trying to avoid a bad, a bad scenario or worst case scenario. It's having the confidence, the courage to know that you can handle whatever happens after you make the decision. Essentially, but the other way around, be decisive and you'll build the courage. You're going to have to do this afraid. Okay. Yeah. The courage isn't, that's a green light to wait for the courage. That's green light syndrome. 
You're going to do it while not feeling courageous. Okay, so it's better to be impulsive than rather than to rationally think about things before making a decision. It's like, okay, I'm going. A simplified way kind of, yeah. At least not think of it like training wheels. Impulsiveness is what will get the thing moving, and then you're going to pull back a little bit and be a bit more deliberate and careful. But if you're like someone who just gets stuck all the time, you need to start being a bit more kind of like, let's just go for it. But remember, just go for it with a little amount. Not, okay, I'm going to change my whole life course permanently here. Just, okay, what's a little experiment look like? What's a taste of it look like? What's a trial look like? And just throw yourself into that little trial, that little experiment. Have your exit strategy. Have your limit before you need to reassess. But do what rather than think. You have these little messes to clean up. Do you kind of set, because I see here, there's two types of decisions. The ones that you have to make on the spot, like in a matter of seconds. And there's other big decisions that you have to think through and take hours and sometimes days to, to make. Do you see those two types of decisions or you handle everything like a, a matter of seconds decision? What I do is I break it down to the next quickest decision. Let's say I've got some big decision to make about my career. Actually, the next decision is to talk about it with my wife. And that's a decision on its own with an action to follow through. So there's parts building up to say a bigger decision that require lots of little decisions to quickly be made. Who do I need to talk to about? Those people, okay, go talk to them. Done. Right. What I don't do is overthink. Like once I've already decided on something I need to do, I go do it. I don't consider more options of what to do. I'll reconsider options after I've done it. You know, so I'm like, okay, I've got these three jobs. I'm not sure which one I want. Okay, first of all, just apply for all of them. Let's get that out of the way. Right. And then if only two of them come back, that's one of my options removed anyway, so that helps. Right. And then I'll reconsider from there. Rather than like, yeah. I'm only going to apply to one and it has to be the right one. Freeze. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that all decisions should be impulsive and made quickly. What I'm saying is impulsiveness or quick decision-making is a training process for you to get into more messes more quickly, clean them up, build trust in yourself, and then develop to a point where you'll actually have instinct when it comes to decision-making. You'll just feel what's right and go with it and trust it. Quite often now, I'll like when I do deliberate over something and think about it, I end up going, you know what? That went against my instinct, and I can clearly see my instinct was right. And right now, the house I'm living at, I really just didn't feel like moving here. But we talked about it and talked about it and talked about it, and we did costs and benefits and stuff, something I don't usually do, this over kind of thinking. And we moved here, and now this place is full of mold. We're going to have to move again. And I kind of wish we'd lived at my old place. I'm like, <laughs> my instinct seemed to stay at the old place. I fucking knew it. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like, okay, instinct, trust. I know. Mm. Sometimes I have to go against it just to show myself that it works. But undecisive people, I'd say don't trust your instincts because your instincts will say delay, procrastinate, think again. Mm. They need to be retrained to go like, okay, I can clean up a mess. So what mess do I want? That one or that one? I prefer that one. Go for it. Mm. Yeah. I've got a little five-step process for practicing this. Okay. First one is you've got to ask yourself a question. The situation in what value does it call for? 
There's a situation where I need to be courageous, situation where I need to be honest, situation where I need to be curious and ex exploratory, situation where I need to be respectful, compassionate. What, what's the situation kind of calling for in general? So when it's going to talk to a stranger, it's probably calling for courage. When it's deciding on your career, it's probably calling for responsibility or curiosity. You know, if you don't know, it's curiosity. If you know, but you feel scared, it's courage. If you know, but you're worried about how people are going to react, it's honesty. You know, there's things that are just being called for. And the second thing is, what's the right action to take to live by that value? Not what's the right decision, what action lives by that value? Because that is the decision. You know, like telling my girl in the middle of breakfast that I'd use porn. That was living by honesty and courage in a situation that called for honesty and courage. That's what it looked like. So I did it. And there's a third step. Just go. Just do it. Smallest possible step you can think of. You know? Yeah, interested in salsa. You don't know what it's like. Curiosity is being called for. What would curiosity look like? Sending them an email saying, when's the next class? Okay, just go. Send the email. You're done thinking. You, you thought enough. You don't need to reconsider it. You don't need to look at more classes. Just send the email to that one. And then you just sort of step back and let them react. That's step four. So quite often that's the way I do decision making. I throw a little thing out there and I go, what do you think? And I just let people kind of, whoever's involved or whatever's happening, react to it. You know, it's like kind of like a scientific experience. Sometimes it feels like I drip something in a test tube. I'm like, yeah, let's see what happens. Mm. <laughs> You know, and then if, it, if the, the, what happens is a mess, step five is you clean up that mess. And then you're on to your next decision. Now, what does the situation call for? Which value? What would it mean to live by that value? Go, let them react, clean it up. The big decision like choosing your career is just cycling through this process. Kind of trial and error broken down into five steps. Hmm. You know? Think I want to do that career. I'm scared. So curiosity and courage. Okay, what would a curiously courageous act look like? Maybe just volunteering for a day. Okay, sign up for a day. Boom. Go and do a day, see how I react, see how everybody else reacts. Did I destroy any lives? Do I need to fix anything? Yes, no. Okay, now how do I feel? What's next? I'll finish off with just some things to remember. There's no such thing as a wrong decision. There's just the decision. There's no alternatives available for comparison. You can imagine stuff, but there isn't actually anything to compare it to. There's nothing in real life. There's just what is. Neither better nor worse alternatives are real. How good a decision is depends on what you make of it. It's what you do after the decision that decides on the quality of the decision. You know, so if you live well now, every previous decision will make sense. Basically, if you've got a good life now, then all of your previous decisions were good decisions. You notice that? No matter what you did, if it led up till now and now is good, then that was good. So your decisions, whether or not they're good or bad, depends on what you do now. Like my decision to be a people pleaser for 20 years seems like a bad one. But I'm pretty happy with where it led me, so I'm going to say it's a good one. 
right? So if you make yourself proud now, which often being decisive does, even when you get it wrong, you're like, but I fucking weep for it. Got some balls going. I like that. I feel like a leader. I feel like a man kind of thing. Then it won't really matter whether it was right or wrong. It is right because you feel good about making it. And then you'll never have to worry about ever making a bad decision if you know that you can clean that mess up and come to a place where you're happy with who you are. You'll always turn any bad decision eventually back into a good one. You know? You understand regret is based on current behavior, not past behavior. You don't regret mistakes that you made. You just don't like the way you're living now. If you liked that, there's no regret. Right? Because everything led up till now. So like I said, I'm glad I was a nice guy and suffered. I'm glad I was too scared of girls to have sex for like five years. I'm glad for all that now because the way I am now is... Fantastic, like the recipe worked. You know, decisiveness will make you like you now, which heals the past. Next thing, make a mess, then clean it up. Don't imagine messes, deal with a real one. You know, although you can, think about how many you can imagine, how many ways it could go wrong. Give yourself just one way it went wrong. You know, one way is easier to deal with. Get it wrong in one specific real way and, and clean it up. Treat oh, everything. <laughs> Treat everything. Say again. With all this uh, pumping up and encouragement you're giving us, I'm, I just want to start making more decisions and take action. <laughs> Good. It's fun to be decisive. Yeah. Being indecisive is not fun. It sucks. It sucks. Hmm. Being decisive is like living on the edge of your seat, you know? It's like, fucking shit's happening. I've got to deal with shit. Like, stuff's going on. I'm alive. Some real life going on here. Mm. You know? And yeah, it'll go wrong and they'll be messy and stuff. But fuck it, fix it. You know, turn it into something. It's, uh, it's like trying to win a fight. Like, try and win the fight. Instead of just running away from it and feeling like a coward, you know? Mm. But the key thing to remember is like treat everything like an experiment, an experiment in integrity and in finding out who the fuck you are. Every decision is like, is this who I am or is this or is this? And you find out, you know, you boldly go into something and you go, that was fucking stupid. So I guess I'm not that good. It's good to know. You know, there are no missed opportunities because you're always doing the best that you can. Right. If it didn't work, then it was never going to work. At least now you know, right? Just learn from it. Yeah, like, oh, if only I'd done this, it would have worked. Well, you're talking about time travel. It's not possible. So it's never going to happen. You don't need to worry about that. You can't go back and make it work. It never was going to work because it never did work. But you can grow from it. You can learn from it. You can become tougher from it. You can laugh about it with people later. I mean, we don't watch movies where everything goes right. We want to see people struggle in movies. We want to see them fuck it up. We want to roll our eyes and go, why the fuck did he do that? We don't watch a movie where he's like, fucking spot on. This guy never misses a beat. Awesome. We don't watch those movies. They're not interesting. The size of people make lots of mistakes. They fail forward. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're wrong nine times out of ten. 
but they benefit 10 times out of 10. You'll always imagine that decisions are final, but the only final decision I can ever think of someone making would be to commit suicide. Anything else can be rectified, recovered from, fixed in some way, adjusted to. You know, you might, maybe you didn't talk to that girl and she's gone for your life forever. Well, there's other girls. You can talk to somebody else. Mm. You know, maybe that marriage didn't work out. There's another person to meet. Three and a half billion of the opposite sex on the planet. You'll figure someone out. Right? Even if, like, uh, you had some permanent injury or some debilitating disease, I mean, you still learn how to be a good person with that. Like, it's not game over here. You know, until you're dead, there's still a chance to do something. Practice on the small things that usually take just too long to decide on that don't need to. Like, what are you going to eat for breakfast? Or whose email you should respond to first? Or making that phone call. What route you drive to your work or the shops. Just, just do it. Do it impulsively. Do it where it doesn't matter if you really fuck it up. Get used to like just quickly making decisions. Flip a coin, roll a dice if you need to. Give yourself some sort of journal like variant here. Because the decision doesn't matter, it's how you deal with it. Like a great one is to try to drive to work, but every intersection you flip a coin to see which whether you turn left or right. And then try and deal with that. You know? Or try to get to your friend's house without navigation. Just guess and then fix mm. that situation. Little things where it doesn't matter if you fuck it up, but it'll put you in a situation where you're like, you're being decisive and getting it wrong and fixing it. So you can build up that trust in yourself. Like, fuck, I can handle some shit. And this is more interesting than getting it right, actually. That, that's what I was saying earlier. It's like being able to be decisive and handle the consequences of being decisive. It's way better than trying to get it getting it right all the time and looking for that optimal decision. Yeah. yeah. You make decisions optimal after they've done, not before. <laughs> you kind of, you optimize them as you go. You kind of like, you start there, oh, it's a bit fucking messy, clean it up there, fix that bit, change that bit, and then it gets more and more optimal. It's like learning something. You go to your first dance class and you're standing on people's feet and you can't get the rhythm and shit. Next time you try and get your rhythm right, Time after that, you try and get your lead right, and you just kind of fix the mistakes as you go. You don't sit at home thinking about how to dance. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is the thing that's been obvious throughout the whole call. You know from experience that being indecisive causes you more pain than making wrong decisions. Mm. Okay. It's better to get it wrong than to not do anything. So just get it wrong, clean it up. Mm. Yeah. you're going to have to prove this to yourself you'll understand it rationally but emotionally you'll still be afraid of getting it wrong yeah. <laughs> you're just going to have to go and get it wrong to show yourself see I didn't die just like every other time I didn't die and I handled it you know final thoughts or questions before we wrap it up oh. yeah I definitely think there's a lot of practical handles that this has given me 
like especially the mindset shift for how you evaluate evaluate what a good and a bad decision is it's more just what decision suits my value best and then that combined with the time limit i think will really do a lot of good for me probably hmm. good and um, in my case this webinar will definitely help me a lot and i'll download it as soon as you share it because being an analytical thinker that wants to make the optimal perfect decisions all the time and i overthink a lot of things this will help me out a lot especially in the social world where you're constantly being you know uh tested or asked questions or you have to introduce yourself or make decisions quickly this will definitely help in being more impulsive and being challenging myself and being able to handle the consequences of being decisive rather than overthink and seeing opportunities go by because I didn't react. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to feel the kind of excitement from you guys. Cause it is, you know, being stuck thinking about something is you die a million deaths and you just move forward on and you're like, Hey, I'll die one death. You know, it's just, it's just a one bit of pain. Not all the imagined. Yep. Um, but especially anybody who's interested in building a sense of masculinity, decisiveness is a huge factor in that. You know, going first, going boldly, getting it wrong, willing to take the heat, willing to get yourself into difficult situations and muscle your way through them. You know, you develop a lot of kind of like, yeah, I can fucking handle some shit. That kind of sense of what a lot of people call confidence. It's like a competence in the unknown. It's a sense like, even if shit goes wrong, I got this. I've been practicing. Mm. You know? And then it doesn't really have to go right. I really like these days when I make decisions, I don't really care what the potential outcomes are. I just want to get there. Uh, let's just do it. Okay, fine. I'll move to this house and we'll just see how it goes. Fuck it. Because I'll handle it. Yeah. Hopefully I'll grow from it. Cool. All right, guys, let's wrap it up there. Right. Thanks so much. Uh, appreciate you joining in too. I like these being a bit more sort of um, interactive, definitely. Mm. I'll try and well, work on that. Great webinar. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Thomas. Yeah, nice to meet you too, man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks, Dan. And uh, congratulations on your coaching anniversary, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just double check that, but I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys, until next okay. time. Bye. Cheers. Cheers.